Hello and welcome to Potternot, a podcast for those with conflicted Harry Potter feelings and for those who have absorbed Harry Potter through cultural osmosis and want to dive into the good and the bad. I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a conflicted fan. I am Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a tired fan. And I am Zoe, she, her, an even more jaded fan than I was before. <laughs> welcome to our book three wrap-up episode. Yay! <laughs> we did it! We did another one. We did do another one. Welcome to the end of our very short uh, seasons, and now we will be <laughs> diving yeah. forward into the long ones. The long ones. Yeah, we will be towards the end of this talking about uh, moving forward into book four. It's a big one. It sure is. For those of you who are not on Twitter or didn't see our Twitter, um, I was working on breaking up book four, which we'll talk about later. But it's just so it's just so long. And then somebody was like, I thought it wasn't the longest one in my head. It, it was the long. It's not the longest one. Book four is only the third longest one. Book seven is 20, 30 pages longer than book four. And yeah. Book five is the longest. Yeah. It's, anyway. <laughs> it's over 800 pages. 835 in the British edition. And 860, I think, in the American. So we Bananas. have that to look forward to. <laughs> We hope everyone's ready to keep listening to us for a hundred years. All right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> e, do you want to start with your wrap-up thoughts? Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I have very many concrete, like, overall thoughts that I haven't already gone into. You know, I think we talked a lot last time about our sort of final impressions of the book and... Uh, I, I definitely came away from this one like, I like this book a lot. I like a lot of the things in this book. I also was very frustrated and sad about how it ended. And it sort of left me with a sour taste. I think it will rank higher than both books one and two for me. But I don't expect it to be my favorite of the series. I don't know. We'll see. So my wrap-up thoughts are, so E was re-listening to our book two wrap-up and put in our chat uh, what I had said at the end of book two, which is, and I will quote myself here, I think book four is going to hold up a lot more than book three will, and I think that moving forward, book six is going to hold up even better and rise in my ranking. And there's a lot that I'm looking forward to nitpicking in book three. All of these things are true so far. <laughs> <laughs> I was right! <laughs> I, I think my ranking is going to change, but I don't know how yet. So we will get to rankings in a second. Um, but I think I was right. I think I, I really enjoyed nitpicking book three. It still holds a lot of importance to me within the series. But I think that my ranking still stands in that book four is going to be better. Um, and I still think it's going to hold up more. I think book three held up a lot less than I thought it would. Um, mm. But I still like it way more than books one and two. So yeah. And I, like think we'll, I can definitely feel where the nostalgia factor would be yes. in this book, despite how many problems we had with it. Yeah, we're going to get into this in a second because we have some comments about the ending and about nostalgia. But um, the, the switch from one of our commenters said it's the Scooby-Doo nature of books one and two to sort of the more serious nature of book three, I think is part of the nostalgia factor for me is that like this is more... 
it's still not YA in the way that book four is, but this is like high enough middle grade that for me, it was like, aha, I am growing up now. Um, <laughs> and so is Harry and we are growing up together because we literally did. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think the nostalgia is just really strong with this book, no matter what is going to happen with the rest of the series. Adela? <laughs> yeah, so um, I was also talking about like rankings, <laughs> thinking about my rankings. And I think, I mean, book three was already low on my list, but I think it might be going lower. And I also have been thinking about moving book one around. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, one of the things that I've really been thinking about while rereading the third book and doing this podcast and listening to other Harry Potter, critical Harry Potter podcasts, um, is that I think that this is going to be the last time I read the whole series through. Mm. And it might even be the last time I read any of the books. Because I am, like, I almost feel like this podcast is like a way of saying goodbye to that era of my life when I read the series every year and like Mm -hmm. went back to certain books and certain chapters when I needed to like cope with something Mm -hmm. and like I just don't think I'll be able to do that anymore and enjoy it Um, and I don't think I will have the the nostalgia like I don't think that the nostalgia will carry me through after this yeah (laughs) And I would really like to focus, like, that doesn't mean I I don't want to engage with Harry Potter content anymore. I absolutely will. And it's always been, like, one of my favorite things about being a Harry Potter fan is, like, being in the fandom and having friends who care about it as much as I do. So I think still being in those spaces and still, I will definitely still be listening to other, like, <laughs> critical reread podcasts. And like consuming the the stories that way. Yeah. Engaging with the fandom and probably reading fanfic. So I need Zoe to send me your favorite (laughs) fanfics. Yes. Those are like. My time has come. (laughs) Like there are, you know, there's some that are like rewrites of the whole series and things like that. I'm like, I would rather read something like that than read the original content at this point. At least like once we finish, once we finish Pot or Not. Soulmates. Rewrite Harry Draco of the entire series because sure. it is um, unfinished, much to my chagrin. But yeah, I just think I feel like I feel like going through it, and because every time I've reread them before this, yes, I've had critiques about it in my head, and I've like there's been things that have bugged me, but I've never like been like loud about it and like outspoken about it or just like or thought about it very deeply and like that is what we're doing with this podcast and I feel like once I do that I will be so tired yes <laughs> and will not want to reread them it's funny because um so I have a background in children's literature and I thought I was going to be a public teen librarian and instead I'm an academic librarian and I still work with teens I work with primarily first years and undergrads in college, so still teenagers. But in college, when I was still thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, I knew I wanted to work with children or teens or children's literature. I was working in a library. And so to sort of further that goal, I did an independent study in English. I was an English and history double major. And my independent study was on YA lit. And for that independent study, I read reread at that point, right? 
a number of the Mm -hmm. Harry Potter books. I think I read five, six, and seven, um, along with, um, uh, some Narnia, some of which I hadn't read. I'd never read the final one until then, which is (laughs) wild, Uh wild ride. That book. (laughs) Yes. Um, Just, okay. Uh, And that's a whole different conversation about my reaction to discovering, that Narnia was about Christianity because I am Jewish and did not know that until much later in my life and the betrayal that I felt. I think um, we, t- I feel like we talked about that way earlier on. I think the we did. Because anyway, I also um, felt betrayal from reading. But the last battle just, just really doubles down. In any case, I feel what you're feeling because essentially I did what we're doing now in college, which was my first time like t- sitting down and reading these books critically in terms of literary criticism and after that, I never reread the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. This is my first time rereading the series start to finish since my junior year of college. I have dived in and out for a book here and a book there when I was unemployed before grad school. I think I reread four through seven. But I, this is the first time I've reread the entire series since deconstructing it in the way that I did then. And I think that you're right. It is sort of hard to come back to it. that yeah Mm -hmm. and i don't think and i'm not like it's not something that i'm upset about like i'm i am happy to be saying goodbye to that (laughs) that old adela who used to reread the books every year Mm -hmm. and i'm actually I, i really like this this way of wrapping it all up yeah um it's it's cathartic yeah it's it is really I mean, I feel like one of the core premises of of what we're doing here is working through that. Like, how do you say goodbye to something that you've fallen out of love with because Mm -hmm. the creator, you know, is no longer someone you can support? Yeah. And it's it's a hard process. It is a hard process. And it is an easier process I think with this book than with others because there is such a wonderful and varied fandom. Um, like there yeah. isn't in some cases, like I remember friends finding out that Orson Scott card is a terrible human and just being like, okay, well now what do I do with myself? Like, I don't like these people yeah. didn't read fanfic. They didn't know yeah. of any communities and they were just sort of stuck out in the hinterlands um, with nothing. So yeah, it is nice to have the fandom as sort of a cushion as part of the goodbye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Should we do rankings? Yeah, yeah. How are you both feeling about this book? So I will read Adela's. Adela, when do you want to go? Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Okay. <laughs> uh, why don't you go first? So before, okay. and this is also in our resources channel, but I'll read it out loud. At the end of book two. Adela's rankings were five, seven, one, four, six, three, two. Would you like to change any of that? Um, I, I keep like wondering about moving things around that we haven't read yet, but I'm I'm gonna try not to <laughs> because <laughs> that's fair. I want to yeah. wait until we've read them because like five has been my favorite since it came out, and I don't know like I don't know if that might change this time, so we'll see. But mm-hmm. um. The the relevant the relevant ordering, I guess, being is you have one above three and two. Three and yeah. two. And I think that I also have one above four and six, which is like 
wild. So that's changing. Um, <laughs> and the reason why one is moving, and I think one is going to move down to the end, actually. So you have um, five. No, actually, seven. I think, sorry, two is at the end. One okay. uh, is going to go between three and two. So um, five, seven, six. No, five, seven. Four. Wait, no, wait, no, hang on, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> Five, seven, four, six. Hmm. <laughs> you did not really like book three, even on this reread. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking, like, I think I might move three to the end. And I think one. Wow. Two, one, three. I think two, one, three. And the reason why one is moving down so much is because I have recently been listening to two other critical reread podcasts and I've been listening to their seasons on the f first book mm -hmm. and they were really digging into all of the like, yeah, things that make no sense in the first book. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, and I like every time I'm like, wow, why have I not thought of that? Why were we not talking about this? So, yeah. um, there will always yeah. be that of course oh yeah which podcast so we can give them a, oh, a quick yes. shout out i've already shouted them out a couple times but um the the gaily prophet and the house of black pod uh and i have finished both of their seasons on book one and have started book two now so yeah Very nice. um so adela is moving from five seven one four six three two to five seven four six two one three yep that's me. Um, it'll shake up. <laughs> I will go with next. My previous rankings were four, three, five, one, seven, six, two, and it will be four. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. I'm gonna keep the same. I'm gonna say ah. it's the same. Actually, okay. Uh, four, three, five, one, seven, six, two. I think that's gonna change when we read six. I still. Yeah. I'm really curious about. Yeah. I still hold that book six is going to dive up the rankings when we get there, but my memory of it is filled with such frustration regarding Fair. certain elements of the plot and also is tainted by the movie. Uh, oh, if I, if I was tainted by the movie, that would be at the end of yeah. the list. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Books one and two movies are bad in a, this is a movie with child actors kind of way. And book six is bad for a lot of other reasons, the movie. Gotcha. Um, also having to do with the fact that uh, Daniel Radcliffe had a substance abuse issue during filming of that, which he has talked about. And there's like mm -hmm. some, uh, some other outside issues going on with that film. But Aside um, from some writing just being very bad. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but I think yeah. book six will rise. But for now, I'm actually going to keep it. So four, three, five, okay. one, seven, six, two. I really hate book two. It's, <laughs> it's interesting that three stayed... Yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm interested in. I'm curious I think we'll it. talk about that when we get to the nostalgia and ending sort of yeah. thematic comments. I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. E, <laughs> your previous rankings were one, two. <laughs> <laughs> Would you yes. like to add? <laughs> three, three is for sure above both of them okay, for me. So three, one, two? Despite all of the problems I have with it, I think it is... And this may be just a, a natural factor of the series diving into more no just diving into more complicated topics yeah the further it goes but i think um book two i just don't like yeah at all like i don't think it the the, the themes that it tries to deal with with like pure blood stuff just doesn't happen 
in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like the plot. Uh, so that's probably going to stay at the end. Book one is fun. It's a good middle grade fiction book. It's fine. The goblins, it's like an appropriate intro to the series. The goblins suck. The goblins suck. The fat phobia sucks. Yeah, but it's 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 a decent one of those. And then three is like a, a genuinely really really interesting book that falls through on the themes that it tries to deal with, but at least it tries to deal with them better than book two did. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. So we all have book two as our last ones still. <laughs> Rip well, to wait, no, two. I don't. Oh, no, wait, you I don't. switched. <laughs> two, two moved up two slots in your ranking. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, just <laughs> so we sure, have written I'm down. Not sure how I feel about that. We'll see. All right. Uh, as per usual, we have a quiz. <laughs> oh, yeah. E, are you ready for your quiz? Oh, I'm, I'm probably not. it's gonna be great so um we said that we were going to ask you the same questions that you got wrong last time which this time there was only one question that you got wrong last time or that you didn't know the answer to okay so but all the rest all the other questions are new all right here we go question number one what is aunt marge's favorite dog's name oh no that was so many months ago (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know it's a good bulldog, but I don't remember. I don't remember the dog's name. His name is Ripper. Mm-hmm. Ripper. Ripper the bulldog. I wouldn't necessarily call him a good bulldog, but... Okay. Well, okay, bulldogs are good. <laughs> yes, bulldogs are good. Ripper is spoiled and therefore does not... Ripper is spoiled and not trained well for yeah. indoor spaces and interacting with other humans. Um, name the Marauders, their nicknames, and their Animagus forms. Oh, dear. Okay. Uh, so, um, James Potter, nickname Prongs, Stag. Mm-hmm. Remus Lupin, nickname, I'm trying to remember which one he is. He's Mooney. Mm-hmm. And Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Not an animagus, but yeah, but you know. Yeah. Um, Sirius Black, um, Dog, and Padfoot, and Peter Pettigrew, Rat, Wormtail. Yeah. Excellent. All right, here's the question that you didn't get right last time, or that you didn't know last time. Question number three. What are Draco's cronies' full names? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still don't know. You're going to have to ask me this until the end of time. Don't worry, by book seven, you'll definitely know. <laughs> when I was sending this to Zoe, I was like, you just re-listened to this. Do you think they'll remember? <laughs> Absolutely not. I actually intentionally, like, tuned out during that portion of, Good. Nice. of the book two wrap-up, because I was like, I'm sure these are going to come up again, and I don't want to know. Uh, Gregory Goyle and Vincent Crab. Vincent Crab. See, they're just such, like, bog-standard yeah. names. That, yes. that they're unmemorable. What are Ron and Hermione's bogarts? Ooh, Hermione's was um, McGonagall being disappointed in her for failing her classes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ron's... Was Ron's just a spider? I don't remember what Ron's was, but I feel like it was mundane. 
It was just a giant spider. It was yeah. a, it was the giant spider, yeah. Yeah, giant spider. Uh, question number five. When was the Whomping Willow planted? Does this book say that? Yeah. Wow. Um, it doesn't have to be a date. It doesn't have to be a date, unless you want to do math. <laughs> Which I did, so I know I mean, what I guess, is, I but... guess if it's... I guess the, 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 <laughs> the logical conclusion is that it has to do with Lupin being at school. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember. For some reason, I I thought the willow was older than that, but I, I'm misremembering. Yeah, no, it was planted when it it was planted the year that Lupin started school. Gotcha. Yeah. I think they that I think is they mention it. A remarkable that is a remarkable time for one tree to have grown. <laughs> well, they transplanted it. Lupin mentions Maybe. it during the exposition dump chapter. Also, it's a magical tree, gotcha. so who knows? Sure, sure. It sure. also gets mentioned. If you wanted to do even more math in book two by Mrs. Weasley, I think, who says when uh, yeah. it was planted in like her third year or something. Yeah. Oh boy. And there was anyway. like a dare to see who get close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you show respect to a hippogriff? Oh, uh, you bow to it. Yeah. Nice, easy question. And last question whose office was Sirius locked in? Oh, shoot. Um,. And Zoe's response, whose office was Sirius locked in? I could tell you how many windows it was in from the side of the building. <laughs> oh, see, I don't. It was. <laughs> that was a question I was considering asking. But I, don't, I don't remember here. that number. Um, I want to say Flitwicks. Yeah. Yep. You're right. All right. Oh, damn. I knew it was one of the professors whose names I always forget. Hmm. <laughs> hey, extra, extra credit. Do you remember Flitwick's first name? <laughs> Absolutely not. Have we heard it yet? <laughs> no. Oh, so well, that's it's, not fair. <laughs> it's Phileas. Yeah. Phileas Flitwick. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Flitwick is adorable. Flitwick is, is, a, is a wonderful person. Okay. I think we're going to dive into the questions now. And just so that if you are listening, you know what we're going to be talking about. Um, I've broken it up into thematic chunks. So we'll be, there's a quick comment about Lupin. And then we'll be talking about Patronuses, Nostalgia and Endings, Prison, and then we'll be doing some questions from the audience. Um, <laughs> so... all, of these, all of these thoughts are from the audience. Yes, all yes. of these many... Thank you, everybody, for sending in all of your thoughts. Yeah, honestly, this is, We had a lot of thoughts. Honestly, my favorite part of doing this is just hearing what everyone else thinks. It's always fun to, like, get texts or be on Discord or see people like retweeting us or, or getting, getting replies on Twitter to be like, oh yeah, I had the same thought. Or um, we had a friend who went and searched for the Tumblr post about the kids having the leaf under their tongue and talking mm-hmm. about when we were talking about Animagus and like went and found it partway through the episode because he was, <laughs> he was like, I know, he was like, I know I can find I it. I know and I can find we... this. And then a few minutes later we found it and he was like, oh, I should have kept listening. <laughs> we love, like we yeah. love it it's so good. i had a couple of friends visit last week and immediately they were like we need to talk about pot or not in the last episode <laughs> yeah it's wonderful <laughs> um so from uh my friend kirby uh via text um he says i always felt there was a lot to unpack with snape and lupin and then i asked for some clarification there because i was like sexually um, and so some <laughs> clarification from his partner, Julia, 
uh, who says, I asked Kirby for clarification, and he said he never got a Snape slash Lupin sexual vibe, but it's an inappropriate work relationship. And well, that's, specifically yes. referring to... Um, their rivalry? <laughs> their rivalry, and this is actually, I put it in here because, E, I want you to keep this nugget in your brain, because this relates actually to something that Kirby followed up with that's a bit of a spoiler, so I don't want to sort of foreshadow too much. Sure. But keep their history in mind. Yeah. And this is really the first time that you see Snape having an an inappropriate work relationship. He has a lot of inappropriate teaching relationships. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. But in terms of colleagues, yeah, like, this is ridiculous. He, and we talked about this, he outs a colleague. Yes. And Mm -hmm. doesn't get fired for it. So, um, Also threatens to, like, murder the colleague. Yeah, also that. This is something that I think we will come back to, and I think Kirby's right. There is a lot to unpack with these two, and I think that um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be interesting to keep in mind. I could imagine a very carefully handled AU fanfic where that ends up being a ship. Oh. Uh, very, very carefully handled and very, very uh, AU. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm just saying, I can imagine it. I just don't want to ever ship Snape with anyone. Yep. Is the thing. Yeah. So, and I don't like thinking about it. No, you're, you're, you're <laughs> so. correct. I'm not um, saying I would read it and like it. <laughs> the next bit is about Patronuses. And I'm going to do some summarizing because we got like quite a lot of text here. I'll start with Julia who texted me. And uh, I'll actually read this one because it's, it's shorter. So Harry casting a Patronus is like me driving stick shift. I tried and tried for a year and failed and I was doing everything everyone told me and it wasn't working. And then I just got mad one day and kicked the shit out of the tires and then just drove across town and always could after that. You just can't until you can. And you don't need a happy memory, mind memory, because it's muscle memory, a body confidence of knowing you can do it. And then Will actually, via Discord, um, said a very similar thing. He says that... Um, uh, it's about resilience in the face of depression, not about happiness, which is why Harry is talented at the Patronus. He's gone through a ton of trauma, and it's very hard to learn to do this, but it's also something you can take with you moving forward in the way of therapy. Um, and Will says that it, this is how he's always related it to his depression. Um, mm-hmm. and, that, and then sort of moving into what I had talked about in the previous episode about Harry sort of coming into his own and how I had always read it that way um, when he casts that big Patronus that he thought his dad had, um, Will is saying that Harry is realizing he needs to save himself and someone else isn't necessarily going to come and do it for him. So it was less for Will about sort of coming into his own in terms of character and more of coming into his own in terms of, um, as you will hear in later books, Harry has something of a saving people complex, Uh (laughs) but knowing that he has to save himself is a really important moment um and you have it within you to drive back these demons is a really important growing up lesson that will took from this book but i i do want to read this from lofty via tumblr who started with uh hi lofty here a fan whose relation to the canon is so weak but who has read at least one harry potter fanfic a month since they started reading fanfiction that's a fan mood it's a fan mood And so Lofty says that um, they're not sure that the joy finding out his, that Harry's Patronus is a stag um, is the, the joy that we talked about is, doesn't really resonate with them. 
Yeah, they said Harry constantly being compared to his father throughout the book seems more like the people in his life wishing for him to be someone he isn't or to hold on to this piece of the past rather than celebrating him as his own person. And that's really interesting because that will tie into things with Sirius Mm -hmm. later in later books. Um, And the magical confirmation of that likeness through Harry's Patronus feels like a further extension of that. I can understand Harry's wanting that connection, but he's also a 13-year-old child, and I'd have I'd have expected him to reject the lack of individual lack of individuality slightly more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally hear this. I think the reason I would push back on it is Harry wants this connection. Yeah. This basically Lofty put into words is something that was kind of niggling at the back of my mind when we were talking mm-hmm. about that in the last um episode, which is just like how much Harry is always compared to his father and like in the book and I it's there's nothing wrong with it because Harry does want that clearly he does want that and it is good for him but for me as like someone trying to empathize with the character I'm like thinking like if it were me I would not necessarily like that the way that Harry does yeah I mean I think I think this is something that's very specific to Harry Mm-hmm. Because of the way that the way that he's grown up, um, at sort of in the hole left by the absence of his parents, mm-hmm. and he knows nothing about them. The Dursleys don't tell him anything, um, and he, you know, doesn't find out until he's eleven who they even were. And so these three books so far have been him just like grasping for any piece of information. Mm-hmm. Which usually comes through people comparing him to his parents, specifically his dad. Right. Often yeah. negatively, right? Because a lot of it comes through Snape. Mm-hmm. Up until... Yeah, and up until he starts to talk to Lupin a little bit about up an, it. Up until this book. And so mm-hmm. I think for this book specifically, it resonates nicely at the end that he gets that, like... That... that not quite resolution, but he gets a sense of who his dad was and what his dad passed down to him in terms <laughs> of, like, personality. Um, I also think... I I actually agree with Lofty here that, like, the Patronus aspect, I think, is the weakest part of my love for that scene because it is his father. Mm, yeah. But I think what I'm taking from it is more what Will is taking from it, is, is that him saving himself and realizing that it's not his dad saving him. It's him saving himself. It's Harry doing the saving of Harry is the moment rather than the recognition of the Patronus. <laughs> I really like that theory about the Patronus working because of resilience, not because of happiness. I think that that, I do think that that is headcanon. I do not think that that was intentional on JKR's part. Um, But I definitely agree with that headcanon and will take it (laughs) into my considerations of the books from now on. Yeah, Julie and Will have this idea of like resilience and like muscle memory and like not being able to do it until you can do it and then just being able to do it. And I think that that plus saving himself is more the moment that I was referring to, because I do agree with Lofty that, like... Yeah. The connection and the repeated connection to his father, he is grasping for anything he can have that connects him to a family that he never knew. But 
he's also 13 and he should be his own person. This will be an interesting conversation to come back to in book five. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have that, that to look forward to. Moving on to the next section of comments we received uh, about nostalgia and endings, as we were talking about how much E disliked the ending <laughs> of this book, and Zoe talking about your nostalgia for this book. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have uh, first here, we have a really nice long comment from Simon Sweetman via Twitter. Uh, He says, this book has a combined nostalgia and maybe my first instance of being critical of the books as a child. When I was about 11, I reread this book about half of it every night because it was like a comfort food after having watched a horror movie that made me afraid to sleep. This book was the first time child me started to notice that J.K.R. would just introduce new elements as though they'd been there all along, only when it became relevant to the characters. Hogsmeade seems like a thing they'd have mentioned before your third year at the school. It's a town next to the castle. They make a big deal about Butterbeer, but Harry literally lives at a bar for weeks, and it's never mentioned there. Those were small things at the time, but it led to my slow disillusionment with the world and some of her more egregious bits of lore built or introduced on a per-book basis. Wand lore comes to mind as one of the dumbest things. Uh, You'll get there, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get there in book four. Um, Side note related to wand lore when we get to uh, book four and we get to that one chapter, the of the wands. we will need to read several Pottermore pages because there are at <laughs> least four Pottermore pages on wands alone. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> I don't think there are any more. No, there are. I scrolled okay, through the archive. Good. Yeah. Yep. Okay, <laughs> there's, there's some wild shit happening there. Um, uh-huh. so, yeah. Anyway. I, I like this comment about, um, like noticing the little things. I feel like yeah. this book, we noticed the little things a lot more than in the first two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we called them out too. The idea of like yes. stupefy being introduced for the first few chapters of book four, but they don't know about it in book three and they've never seen it before and it's never right. used. Yeah. I the hadn't Hogsmeade... thought about the Hogsmeade and Butterbeer thing. That's, that yeah. makes sense though. The yeah. Harry literally, literally lives at a bar for weeks. I had totally forgotten that, but he does. He lives at the yeah, same. Yeah, the Leaky uh, Cauldron definitely has butterbeer. It definitely does. Adela, you want to read the text? Sure. Um, from my friends Lainey and Sean via text. Uh, While the ending is disheartening and depressing, it was an intentional t- choice, and it sets up so much for the next four books. While the first two books are more like Scooby-Doo mysteries, Azkaban changes the tone and opens the realm of the wiz- wizarding world. This is where I come back to my rankings. So this is mm-hmm. a comment that I wanted to come back to. This is why book three is still so high. In the same way that I am frustrated by this in book two, and that book two is, as I said, literally just set up for the rest of the series and has <laughs> no closing to it, book three yeah, that's is a good also point. that. But it's complex enough and has enough going for it that I think it is necessary and therefore ranks higher in the same way that book two was a poorly done version of this, I guess. I think that book two sets up a lot of like plot things for the rest of the series, a lot of plot things for the rest of the series. And because you haven't like E hasn't read them yet. A lot of those plot things seem like, like they they don't notice them or they, yeah, Mm -hmm, they don't really make any, they, yeah, they don't seem to have a purpose in the second book. But the third book is more of an introduction to the like whole wizarding world 
rather than to the plot of the rest of the series. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like it's opening up the actual world itself more. Yeah. You see, you spend more time in Diagon Alley. You go to Hogsmeade. You learn about Azkaban. You learn more, a little bit more about the Ministry. So it's like, and you learn, yeah, quite a bit more actually about the Ministry and about the um, <laughs> the way that trials work uh, through Buckbeak's yeah. um, experiences. So yeah, I think it's just it's opening up the Wizarding world more. Yeah, I appreciate um, the comment that, like, the first two books are more Scooby-Doo-ish, and as and this third book um, is trying to change the tone of the series, mm-hmm. which, like, might make more sense once I have the context of the later books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it does feel like the the knob just got turned... To 11. It's a bit of a sharp turn. It's a sharp book, turn book three. towards, like this world not being goofy and dumb and silly but also this like real tragic and dark like underpinnings of it where like justice does not get served and good good does not win we're gonna have to come back to the idea of justice not being served in book five and 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 that that, that sharp turn there um is very awkward <laughs> yeah the it's a sharp turn in the movies too right because they had the same director and the same style for the first two mm. um, the director whose name is unfortunately christopher columbus um, <laughs> no relation um, <laughs> and then the third one who was directed by alfonso Cuarón, and it's just like sharp turn totally yeah. complete tone shift yeah also different uh filming locations yeah, but different um, filming locations like it's a whole different different thing. Dumbledore actor also yeah. Yeah. yeah but anyway um I think that's why I actually like the first two movies quite a bit and I think I like them more than oh, the rest but anyway we'll talk to we'll talk about the movies when we get to the movies Ooh, soon. <laughs> soon yeah soon, soon. soon. <laughs> um moving on so we have quite a few comments well, two, but they're longer, um, about the, the prison theme throughout this book, uh, which is something that we brought up, and especially E brought up, really regularly. Um, <laughs> I just, I have so many issues with it. Yeah. It's because no, it's super that is, fucked. Yeah. <laughs> as, as Sean says via text, um, I'm actually going to start with that one. Azkaban is a prison that is super fucked and intentionally super fucked. As a child reading about Azkaban, just equated to jail, it's really bad. It's okay to have a corrupt prison system, given that it's very true to real life, but of course that gives JKR more credit than is probably due. But looking at Azkaban as commentary on how screwed up the prison system is, is an interesting dropping off point that, as Sean says, is, is not. Yeah, I think, it, I think it is. That's the thing that I, I will want to get into when we are answering questions at the end, because I was thinking yeah. about that a lot this yeah. morning. But it's a lot of, it's a, it's a common practice of JKR to introduce things that are corrupt and not do anything about it yeah (laughs) anyway yeah it's like it's 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 a corrupt prison system like above and beyond what readers of this book would have been familiar with Mm -hmm. like in in the way that uh children in the united states and presumably also england are taught about policing and the justice system as this like good and noble system where uh yeah of course, it's, like, much worse and more complex than that. But the way that, that uh, 
11 year old or 13 year old reading this would think about policing yeah um uh, a <laughs> let me be clear an 11 or 13 year old white child yes would be familiar with policing um is very starkly different from how azkaban is portrayed and yet she doesn't really like do anything with like characters who are in power that's the problem that. because there's because there's no actual commentary on it you a, a white child reading it sees oh this ho- look at this horrible prison but doesn't think maybe it's similar to our prisons yeah and doesn't doesn't get the role model of any character in the book trying to change that yeah it's just like well that's the way life is um jumping off of that e do you want to read the comment from zig yeah so zig uh, via discord says the discussion of how prison is treated in this book connects to something i've been thinking about the harry potter series as a whole and especially the fantastic beasts movies jkr as a writer can point out flaws in society but has no concept of actively changing it instead there's only attacking it defending it and minor rule breaking with no societal consequence from book two onwards the series brings up numerous societal problems in the wizarding world types of racism this deeply unjust prison system but trying to change things for the better is never a serious option in the book's worldview a hero is someone who defends society from those who would attack it and those people who are invariably bad for doing so while asking nothing in return aside from the chance here or there to do a little light rule-breaking to further their efforts to protect society or help those they personally care about. This becomes a bigger thing in Book 4, where a character actually does want to improve society but is not taken seriously by anyone else, including the author. All of the points that Zig is making here are exactly the points I was going to use to answer Morgan's question later. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Um, it's... it's... (sighs) you don't see you don't see f- people fighting against the system that is in place you see f- people fighting against the as the system this is not a spoiler to just say like as the system becomes more corrupt you start to see some resistance to it but mm-hmm. not like there's there's never anything against what is currently like, what is the status quo right now um except for and this is like yeah, it's not a spoiler. Just Hermione is going to be protesting something in book four and yeah, also book five. Um, and it is not presented as something to look up to. It is presented as something to be mocked and that it's like a lost cause and it will not work because mm-hmm. for various reasons that we will get into then. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that is the only time in the entire series where someone is like fighting for someone's rights for other for like yes i think that i would push back and say there's not a lot of resistance as the system starts to change because the system becomes nazism and i think we should acknowledge that um starting in basically book five it's underground resistance it's barely resistance which i was going to talk about later yeah it's underground (laughs) resistance but it is structural and rooted for resistance you are not supposed to root for the nazis and it's made extremely clear that the status quo is nazism right and you should root against that it's just that not enough people recognize it as nazism oh my goodness it's almost like it's parallels oh (laughs) my goodness (laughs) you have to fight against it but to do so you have to do it carefully and underground and all of these things which yes 
which is not true, right? Like yeah. fight for it in broad daylight, I think is a, is a really important lesson that is not put out in these books until yes, um, yes, yes, too yes. Late. That is, that is what but I But now in book three and books one and two, I think this is completely correct is that like the status quo is fantastic and we should just leave it, right? Like that's the message. I don't know how the series ends, but I, I like Zig's point here that like what the heroes of these books are defending is their concept of the status quo. Yeah. And the way things are without actually conceptualizing how things could be better. And the other p- part of this message that I wanted to focus on was the efforts to protect society or help those they personally care about so yeah the, mm-hmm. like the only reason that harry and this is a, a very unfortunate thing about harry's character which i think is we'll get to later but like i don't think it's in character for him anyway harry only thinks about how corrupt things are when someone he knows and cares about is affected by it yes yes yeah. This is the problem so, with heroes. Um, I am rewatching Arrow, uh, which is a really bad, great DC comics television show that aired on the CW and ended this past spring, um, or rather last spring. And my partner is watching it for the first time. Um, and um, every time the titular Green Arrow, who is Oliver Queen, protects somebody that is very close to Oliver Queen when he is being the Green Arrow, my partner is like, well, why doesn't everybody just know who the Green Arrow is? Like, this is, <laughs> yeah. a, this is yeah. so dumb. He's only ever protecting his own... Like, he goes out and protects other people sometimes, but all of that goes out the window if it's about somebody that's close to him. Like, everybody should know who this guy is, right? Yes. And it's true in Harry Potter, too. Okay, putting it in that, like, thinking about that, context this this comes back to bite harry in the butt in book seven um so interesting but i i I just also just realized i think i don't think it is out of character because he is as a character is inherently oblivious to a lot of things so (laughs) he's detective only when the story needs him to be a detective yes and i think that's a very interesting and potentially very compelling like protagonist to have especially if you take harry as um, as the author and most of the fandom sees him as, like, just a young white kid mm-hmm. and being oblivious to how the systems actually affect marginalized people broadly, like, systemically, and not just, oh, my friend Sirius Black got unjustly accused, let me help him escape this one time. Yeah. I think that would be an interesting arc for protagonists to have. I also don't think that J.K.R. Uh, purposefully made him that way. <laughs> like, I think that J.K.R. sees him, as, probably saw him as a lot more of a perfect hero than we necessarily do. Yeah, um, I'm not giving credit to the author for that. My comics parallel fits even more there, right? Is that, like, everybody should know who the secret identities of these famous mm-hmm. superheroes are, because... Their default is, I must protect the people close to me. Like, why doesn't yeah. everyone know that Superman is Clark Kent? If right. Lois is in trouble, he will literally drop the planet to go save her. <laughs> yes. Like, there's, yeah. a very, there's a very clear ring of acquaintances that 
I mean, we don't run into it here because Harry's not in disguise, but no, like... he's not in disguise, but it is that idea of like the personal is more important than, than the structural. Yeah. And speaking of, so just to jump back up, speaking of that phrase that I've just said from Simon Sweetman. And also you, Adela, that like, this is the, the comfort food. And that, like, you, you sort of dive in when you, when you want, like, a comfort food. Um, my comfort food switched after doing that independent study. And there's, there's still a lot of problems with the comfort food that I chose in terms of <laughs> literature. Because comfort literature is often not the most, you know. Critically thorough. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, so my comfort literature is Terry Pratchett. And specifically the Discworld series on Terry Pratchett. And within that, the series on cops, um, which is called the, the Watch subseries, and also Tiffany Aching. But there's, um, there's a moment in there where this character, whose name is Carrot, his girlfriend, who is a werewolf, um, has been <laughs> captured. <laughs> and his captain, uh, Commander Vimes, says, you know, like, why aren't you trying tooth and nail to go help her? And Carrot says, Personal is not the same as important. Mm. And for Harry, personal is the same as important. Yeah. And for most heroes, personal is the same as important. And that's why structural change in hero stories isn't as important as winning, I think. There's my theory. This yeah. is my new theory. <laughs> <laughs> question time? Question time. Would somebody like to read the first question? Uh, sure, I can do it. Uh, this is from Lofty on Twitter. Uh, did you talk about how Hagrid made, made their textbook have teeth and be sentient? Could Zoe please talk about how you would deal with that book in a library? Did so we talk we, about that? We only mentioned that it seemed very Hagrid. We did not really go into it more. No, at no, all. Neither, neither did the book, to be honest. No. no. Um, <laughs> But I think that maybe this is the time to mention that this is not the only time that this has happened. That poor shop man in <laughs> Flourish and Blots said, this is worse. I know this line by heart. This is worse than when we got a shipment of in the invisible book of invisibility and we couldn't find them, which is a <laughs> wild concept for a publisher to have. Um, but yeah, Monster Book of Monsters is a monster and it has some sentience and what the fuck? <laughs> Does it have sentience? It knows. I thought it just attacked everyone, like, with no... Mm. I, I sort of assumed it had the same level of, like... I don't know if sentience is the word here, but, like, a Venus flytrap plant. That, yeah, yeah, that's probably that right. That's exactly what I was kind built of... built in, like, like, sensing mechanisms for when uh, prey is, close. is nearby. Yeah. That's wild because that also still wild. it needs to be fed um what does a monster book of monsters eat paper how 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 where does how? it go um in the movie it just shreds <laughs> paper but you know <laughs> yeah it's fucking wild it's another one of those things that jkr came up with on like one late night writing session and then just never thought about ever hey, again. is yeah. the monster book of monsters in the fantastic beasts and where to find them no yeah i didn't think so so it's probably oh, not a beast it's not actually sentient sentient 
Um, In terms of how we would deal with that book in a library, um, this would probably be (laughs) an archival question, honest to God. Um, So there are different kinds of (laughs) time to get nerdy with Zoe. Um, Yeah. So the way that specific manuscripts were stored throughout history varies on the type of manuscript that it was. And you have everything from chained manuscripts to manuscripts that have iron plates on them and manuscripts that are made from human skin. I mean, like, it runs the gamut, right? So there's a huge number of ways that you care for books like this, right? Mm -hmm. So anything made of vellum is going to be cared for differently than anything made of modern paper because vellum is going to be a lot more sturdy than modern paper, which is going to break down very quickly and needs to be stored in humidity-controlled, acid-free boxes in the dark, basically. So... This would actually be a question of like, what is going to comfortably comfort and sedate this semi-sentient creature? So it seems to do best alone because they attack each other in groups. It seems to do best if the spine is stroked and it lays open. So what might actually be the storage use is to put it in its own box after the spine has stroked with it laid open to a specific page. And in order to prevent the binding from cracking and therefore harming this essentially plant-level sentient of creature, probably pages would have to be turned on a regular basis so that the spine doesn't wear out in a particular spot. Essentially cared for like a houseplant. Yes. Except probably in the Don't water it. Don't water it. Do maybe Please don't water your paper. Maybe feed it some shredded paper every now and again. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that was a great question. Thank you, Lofty. <laughs> thank yes, you, Lofty. Thank you. Um, from Morgan on Twitter, E, if you were going to rewrite book three knowing only what you've read, what changes would you make? This is a question I've been thinking about since I saw it, and I still don't think I have a great answer. Okay. I would remove the time travel device entirely. Ooh, how would you fix the ending? Not just, well, here, I'm getting there. Okay. My version of this book would be a lot different than the one that exists. Um, I would remove the time travel device entirely, not just because it's poorly done, but I think it causes, it it is not in character for Hermione to be that, I don't know. I, I feel like her overworking herself to that point is actually out of character for her. The logic fails again. To the point, yeah, to the point where she is, like, losing her friendships, um, not taking care of her cat, and falling behind in a class. I feel like the logic for her would be to drop one or two classes and do, and excel at the rest. Maybe that's not how a 13-year-old Hermione's brain works, but whatever. I would drop the time travel device. As such, I would make her take care of Crookshanks... And I would have Hermione with Crookshanks um, meet Sirius Black. Ooh. Uh, and and she and her secret instead of time travel is that she is like working with him. It's really good. If this book was about Hermione. <laughs> yeah, like if her if her secret was was that she's actually the one who figures everything out. Right, because mm-hmm. she still finds out about Lupin, and then if she also finds out about Black early on, um, like if she trusts Crookshanks enough and she hasn't been completely overworking herself, then she would yes. 
follow that logic. She would follow that logic. Um, and she would, she would figure out, she would find Black and she would work through it all and figure, and, and understand that he is the one who needs help. Yeah. Um, I haven't worked out how that would fall out towards the end. I feel like, I feel like it would probably fall out earlier. And I think that, like, I think that she would, if she found out about, like, met Black before, met Sirius before the, um, before the Sirius breaking into the tower. Yeah. Time. See, I wasn't, I wasn't sure whether I should have that still happen or not. I think if, if that still happened, then it would be Hermione, like, going to Sirius and be like, why did you do that? And then her realizing that she should bring it, like, bring Harry and Ron into the... And maybe the falling out is not between Ron and Hermione, but between Harry and Hermione, right? Yeah. Because Harry still thinks that this is somebody who killed his parents, basically. Um, I, however my version of the book would play out, it would... See, I don't know how to make it my version of the book and still in keeping with the series that the author has written. <laughs> because, you know, you know, my version of this book would end with with um, Pettigrew being, you know, taken into custody, uh, revealed as the as the actual murderer, and then given some sort of rehabilitative justice, mm-hmm. which is not a thing that is possible in this world. Yeah. In the way it's been set up. And obviously Sirius Black's name would be cleared and Terry would yeah. live with him happily ever after. Like, I don't think that can happen. So I don't know how I would find the balance of like how to end it in a way that, <laughs> that isn't too leftist for, for, <laughs> for a for, Thatcherist for, author. For Yes. Uh. But you know, that's my ideal world. Nice. Adela, um, yeah. this is the next part of the question is for me and Adela, if we were to rewrite book three in the context of the whole rest of the series, what changes would you make? Adela, you want to go first? Yeah, so um, mine is not as drastic of changes as E would have made, <laughs> um, mainly because I am thinking about the rest of the series as it is and not thinking about rewriting the whole thing because you would have to rewrite the entire series in order to do that um oh yeah mine i would have to throw everything out and start over which i've already attempted with one franchise and it's not going great (laughs) okay (laughs) shout out to dragon age (laughs) so i i think the the thing this is going back to when we were talking about zig's um thoughts re azkaban um and J.K.R. always presenting these examples of corruption, and it's in the like in the prison, in the school, in the government. You see all of these examples, um, but she never presents people questioning it more than a, like they might question it briefly, and then it's never mentioned again. But usually, it's just not questioned. Mm-hmm. Or it's just said, oh, well, that's just the way life is and we can't do anything about it. Um, And I don't think that they necessarily should have done something about it. They're 13 and they couldn't really do anything. But I think that showing, like, showing just instances of the characters thinking about 
the issues and talking about like this is messed up why is this like why is the world like this just having those conversations even if they're not able to do anything about it makes it more important than it is yeah shown as in the books and even then like if you if you started doing that in book three and continue doing that through the books then maybe there could be some more resistance happening towards the ends of the books because people have been talking about it and thinking about it for years right yeah yeah um but i mean we all know that jkr is not the radical that we thought she was Not a radical in the way that we may have wanted when we were younger and read these books. Wrong <laughs> direction of radical. Uh-huh. So that, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. frustrating. And yeah, I think, I think I wouldn't change anything about the structure of the plot. I, li- I really like your idea about Hermione, but it definitely d- would break the structure of everything oh, else. for sure. For sure. <laughs> so I think, so I wouldn't thinking about not changing the structure of the plot just putting in a few scenes of like harry even just thinking about because we have thoughts from harry about various other things so just harry just thinking about Mm -hmm. like oh it's kind of messed up what i learned about azkaban the other day like yeah Yeah. like some sort of confrontation between harry and dumbledore toward the end about like why is there no way to get justice yeah. Why does Lupin have to leave the school? Like, actually spell it out. What um, um, societal factors are in play? Yeah. Oh, also, also, no time travel. <laughs> but I haven't figured out how to how to fix that. <laughs> I just no time. I just no time travel. <laughs> in the context of the rest of the series, here are the changes that I would make. First of all, Lupin is gay. Oh yeah, obviously. Obviously. Of um, Lupin is gay. Dumbledore actually, because it's implied that Dumbledore hates Azkaban. And I think I, I want to flip what Adela did. And rather than having Harry think critically about this, he's 13 and he's been sheltered his whole life. I want the adults to speak critically on Azkaban. Mm. So McGonagall and Dumbledore and Madame Rosmerta and, and Hagrid, all these people who clearly hate Azkaban, I want them to actually say why it's bad, not why they have had bad experiences with it. Right. Um, yeah, and have the kids overhear yeah. those conversations and exactly. then maybe think about it later. Like Exactly. So that's that's where I would change that. The other thing that I would change that obviously would change the rest of the series and I could not give less of a shit um, <laughs> is I would actually have Snape be fired. Mm. So um, yeah. there are ways that I think that this could still work and work really, really well um, in the context of the rest of the series. But I think that this is a really big missed opportunity for her to continue with her, you know, like uh, whatever the, you know, stigma around blood-based illnesses, whatever the fuck she said that we ripped apart last episode. This is an opportunity for her to actually push against the stigma. And so Snape outs this character. Snape is fired. Lupin stays. Also... All of these spells and things that are introduced in book four are introduced <laughs> instead throughout the series. Uh-huh. So one of the things that happens early on in the series is like you see adults like conjure a chair out of mid a chair out of midair, right, or whatever, and you don't learn about conjuring until much later. But you see the spell happen. I want these spells that are important for later to be seen earlier even if the students don't know it 
Yeah. So in this context, I'm actually okay with the really dumb time travel. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> time loops. So time turner stays. I actually love how they're destroyed later. I think it's very funny. Um, so, but Peter Pettigrew is stunned before he can transform. Yes. Lupin is stunned before he can transform. Yes. Now, I don't know how that w- would change the werewolf situation, but those but are the things that I would change. But it would give them time to, like, go yes. grab a potion or whatever. Yes, exactly. And then Peter Pettigrew, um, there's a character in book four that can stand in for Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. And I think Peter Pettigrew, <laughs> I, was just thinking about I agree. That. Yeah. Peter Pettigrew, um, just, that's it. Peter Pettigrew yeah. is captured exactly what he was saying. I'm uninterested in his story for the rest of the series. Oh, yeah. Which I think is And very uninterested in the thing that will come back about Harry's mercy. Yes. Yeah. Extremely Um, uninterested. So I think that him being... I don't know how it would work, but I think the thing that I would want to have happen for him is that his animagus powers are taken from him. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then... I don't even know what restorative justice would look like for him, to be perfectly honest. But we would first have to know justice. what restorative justice looks like in the world, which yeah. we don't see. Which so, we don't. Yeah. Um, but those are the changes that I would make. Really interesting. What the rest of the, how the rest of the books would change if Lupin stayed on as the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, because that is a huge major plot point in every book. <laughs> so yeah. I think that it wouldn't change that much because everyone hates potions. No, but I know it would change because we wouldn't have the other teachers. They would just be in potions. In oh right, they would take. Okay, I see. Because Snape would be gone. Right, yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm curious, and I don't know if this is possible to talk about at this point. But Zoe, with Snape out of the school, do you think his story would become like more obviously? Like, antagonistic? Like, do you think your version of the series would deal more, frankly, with how horrible he is? I think that the thing that we don't recognize, or that people who are fans of Snape and sort of the thing that happens at the end of the books, which I fucking hate, Uh I think that the thing that is the reason that people like him so much could be flipped. Hmm. Because if he's not at the school, he's not in the role in the same way. If he isn't at the school, he can still perform the role that he's being asked to perform within the larger plot. But I think that he is much more antagonistic. And I think Mm -hmm. that it is easier to believe the flip um, in book seven and six. I also think that we would not know as much about his story if... And I'm fine with that. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying, like, there would be... Because Harry rarely... We rarely see anything happening outside of the school. Yeah. The things that you learn about Snape's childhood and his time at Hogwarts, I think would then come from Lupin rather than from Mm, what happens in the books. And I think that that's actually because Lupin understands how terrible he was and his group of friends were... As teenagers, that's a more interesting lens for that story to come out. Yeah. I agree. 
there is my big change. And I think it still works for the rest of the series. I support this. And I'm, I'm interested to uh, stick a pin in it and think about it again once I've read the rest of the books. And then we wouldn't have to see him continuing to abuse students in his classroom. That's the main book, point, so. honestly. It's yeah. so bad. E. Yes. Our final question from Zig via Twitter. What are your predictions as to what the Goblet of Fire is? So this is a specific... We get to, you can answer that specific question and also just general predictions about the, the book. book. Four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the Goblet of Fire is, but I know one puts one's name in it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen the memes. Excellent. Um, and uh, assumedly putting one's name in it is uh, incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> the incorrect choice to have made. Great. Um, uh, it's a tournament book. It is... I don't know if it's like an inter-school competition or just a competition among Hogwarts students. Mm-hmm. Um, but it happens... Uh, that is, as far as I'm aware, most of the plot of the book. There's a bit that happens underwater. Don't know anything about that. I don't know what the conflict of the book is. Hmm. All right. I mean, presumably uh, Voldemort is involved somehow <laughs> since we're halfway through the series. But um, yeah, I don't know much. I know it's a tournament. Yep, that's, that's a good... Uh, <laughs> you got I that will right. Say, okay, I will say um, I am curious about what... So there are... A lot of things that I know vaguely about this series that I have not seen yet, uh, like character names that I know that haven't been introduced yet, and I'm interested to see where those come up. Like, uh, I know that Horcruxes exist, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure we've seen at least one of them as an object so far. Mm-hmm. And I would have expected that word to have come up before now. Mm-hmm. Based there's based on like the prevalence of that concept yeah. in the fandom. Um, I would love to know some of the character names that you've heard that you don't know. Uh, they will so come up. Luna is a major character that hasn't come up yet. Um, Professor Umbridge is a character that hasn't come up yet. I don't mm-hmm. know which book she's in or multiple of mm-hmm. them, but I know that she's uh, pretty pretty big. Um. Uh, well, Ginny has been around, but Ginny has not done much yet. Mm-hmm. True. So I'm interested to see when Ginny does things. There's another. Um, there's another male student who I've just now blanked on the name of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's things that I'm looking forward to. <laughs> this is very vague. <laughs> I'm very excited to get into book four. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to spend the next hundred years finishing this series. I know, right? Um, So speaking of book four, um, I just want to quickly talk about how it's being broken up for those of you who would like to read along. We have broken it up a little differently. We will, as per usual, say what we're going to be reading in the next episode. Um, But there is a section with four chapters. There's sections with two chapters. But just keep that in mind. If you are reading along, it's not going to be sort of easily broken up we've tried to do it thematically sort of like in chunks of story 
And it worked out really well in especially two and three, but that happened to work in three chapter chunks. It's just not the case with book four. Yeah. And it probably won't be the case with the rest of the books. Given yeah. No. Actually, we should probably save that because okay. before we do that, we're going to be doing the movies. Are we? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, that um, is how we're breaking down book four. But first, we will be probably taking a bit of a break. And during that break, we will be figuring out a way to watch the movies together. And we will be recording a couple of bonus episodes about the first three movies. That's yeah. Right. So, yeah, if you have thoughts about the movies, um, oh, yeah. we would love to hear them. But if you could, please either DM me at on Discord, Zoe9400, or put them into our Tumblr or private message myself or Adela on Twitter just so that E doesn't get any spoilers about <laughs> For the movies. The movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you everyone who sent in your thoughts and questions for this episode. Yeah. Thank you so much. We had so much good stuff to talk about. And as always, uh, you can find me on Twitter at CEL10E. You can find me on Twitter at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z, and buy my book Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. You can find the show at Potternot on both Twitter and Tumblr, and you can find more music by Morgan Jackson, who did our fabulous theme, at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. So yeah, feel Thank free you so to... Much, everybody. Yeah, send uh, thoughts and questions about the movies to Zoe and Adela or to our Tumblr. And we will be back in an indeterminate amount of time to talk about <laughs> Which, the movies. <laughs> yeah, and we will announce when we're coming back on our Twitter. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, or you can just text us incessantly. That's also fine. <laughs> yes, pester us. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Take care, everybody. Take care. <laughs>